On this special episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst, we're bringing you the latest updates on the eve of the trial. This spring, in response to the unprecedented year-long hiatus, Durst's defense team filed a motion for a mistrial, which Judge Mark E. Windham denied. The defense held out hope that they could win over the Court of Appeals by requesting a writ. After weeks of waiting, the Court of Appeals has made their ruling. In addition to this ruling, we're going to report on a new motion that Durst's team filed last week and one more motion that will be heard on Monday morning. More on all of that at the end of this bonus episode. But first, we want to update you on Robert Durst himself. That will be right after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Over the past several months, Robert Durst and his attorneys have made several appearances in court for pretrial hearings. Time and the pandemic have not been kind to Durst. As his health and hearing have declined, his once self-assured voice has morphed into a high-pitched squeak. Robert, need to answer out loud. I can't read it from here. That recording was from March of this year in a hearing to assess whether the trial could resume on May 17th. In a surprise development, Durst sought to personally raise legal issues with Judge Wyndham at the end of the hearing. And Mr. Durst, you've consented in writing to the further delay and waived any right you may have to resume on April 12th. Is this your signature I have before me? Your Honor, so the court is aware, uh, Mr. Durst has recently been seen by uh, the ear specialist, and uh, they say that he's having problems with the hearing aids. That was Durst's associate counsel, Stephanie Ames. Uh, so it's very difficult for him to hear. Yes, I'm and, uh, and do you uh, agree uh, to waive any right you have to begin on April 12th and start on May 17th instead? Yes? Do you agree to start on May 17th, Bob? I agree to start on May 17th. Very good. The judge then proceeded to review various stipulations and the motions for retrial put forward by the defense. At the center of these motions is the defense's assertion that the nearly unprecedented year-long hiatus in and of itself prejudices the jury against Robert Durst. All of this felt very perfunctory, and just as the hearing seemed about to come to an uneventful closing, Robert Durst raised his frail voice to be heard. Yes, yes, Mr. Durst. Two months ago, I mailed you a letter. Two months ago, he mailed me a letter. I, I did not receive the letter. I did not Two receive a letter. Two weeks ago, the letter was returned to me. May I give you the letter now? The letter was returned to me, stamped with, Return to sender, insufficient address. My apologies. The letter here. 
At this point, Judge Wyndham encouraged Durst's defense team to deliver information to the court in a way that wouldn't harm their client legally, but Durst interjected once again. Is that all, uh, Ms. Ames? All right, uh, thank you, and we'll see Mr. Durst on April 12th. Stipulation 45 was a court document filed on January 20 of last year, just days before jury selection began, in which both parties irrevocably agreed that the previously recorded conditional examination testimony of a number of designated witnesses would be presented by the parties in lieu of live testimony. Durst presumably now regrets that his attorneys agreed to at least some of these witnesses being released from having to return to testify at trial. Judge Wyndham breezily deflected Durst's verbal objection. Okay, well, it is a, it is a legal issue, apparently, and so um, I've not received the letter. If I do, I'll share it. And with that, the proceedings came to a close and Robert Durst was wheeled out of the courtroom. About a month later, at a hearing in which the defense presented a motion for a mistrial, Durst once again sought to deliver the letter to Judge Wyndham. This time, he succeeded. Durst begins the letter by misspelling Judge Wyndham's name as Judge Whitman. Wyndham has been presiding over this case for nearly six years now. Durst seems to misunderstand the nature of Stipulation 45 when he writes, The defense agrees to not present to the jury hearsay evidence that Kathy Durst was seen after 131-1982. The prosecution has acknowledged repeatedly using hearsay evidence. Any evidence that Kathy Durst was seen after 131-82 means I could not have killed her. That is not exactly what the defense had stipulated. Rather, the defense had stipulated to the presentation of previously recorded conditional examination testimony in lieu of live testimony. It was during some of those examinations that Judge Wyndham did not allow some hearsay testimony. Moreover, Durst lawyers are under no obligation to get their client's approval for a stipulation unless that stipulation somehow violates the client's constitutional rights. Durst then goes on to assert that such evidence would exonerate him. He writes, If I could not have killed Kathy Durst, then John Lewin's whole theory of why I killed Susan Berman falls apart, and I should be immediately apologized to and released. Durst culminates this written screed of frustration by summarizing his anxiety and bewilderment. I cannot imagine why the four defense lawyers agreed to the stipulation. Perhaps they were experiencing temporary insanity or some form of collective dementia. As Judge Wyndham promised, he added the letter to Durst's file. In the same hearing, Wyndham denied the defense team's motion for a mistrial. Durst's defense team, however, was undeterred. On April 23rd, they filed for a writ with the Court of Appeals. On May 11th, last Tuesday, the appellate court responded denying the defense team's request. The defense responded by filing a motion that Durst is not physically capable of continuing with the trial, asserting, among other things, that periods of dementia and incontinence resulting from the shunt in his brain prevent him from participating in his own defense. Most recently, the defense has filed a motion in an attempt to hear from additional witnesses, many of whom are deceased, who could offer exculpatory evidence in this case. The hearing for this motion is expected to take less than an hour on Monday, and then the trial of Robert Durst will resume. 
and we look forward to following along with you as the courtroom drama unfolds. To discuss the events leading up to the trial, I'm joined by my co-host, Brittany Bookbinder. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for coming back. Hi, Carrie. Great to be here. I want to start by quoting the opening line from Durst's letter to Judge Wyndham, or Judge Whitman, as he called him, which really stood out to me. He says, as a reminder, the only writing instrument the jail allows is a golf pencil, which we must buy from the commissary. That is why parts of this might be unreadable. Now, what that says to me is that while Durst's body and voice are frail, his signature sense of sarcasm is still very much intact. Yes, he is as sharp as ever, even though, as you mentioned, he's not really getting the legal argument right. You know, to me, the most telling part of the letter is right at the beginning when he says, I'm writing out of extreme desperation. What do you make of his personal plea to Judge Wyndham? I think he's just frustrated with his defense team. And I mean, you can see that very clearly at the end of the letter when he wonders if his defense lawyers have been, quote, experiencing temporary insanity or some form of collective dementia, end quote. (laughs) That's nuts. You've got Durst saying his lawyers are suffering from dementia and the lawyers are saying the same about Durst. Yeah, that's not a good look heading into a murder trial. I mean, do you think he's going to make it through the trial? Who knows? I mean, it was four years ago that he was admitted to the hospital section of L.A. County Jail with fluid on his brain and got a shunt in his head to drain the fluid. And somehow, after all this time, he's still hanging on. I really think he believes that he's going to be exonerated, and that's what's keeping him going. Well, we should all live in hope, I guess. It seems like, from what I've read, everyone involved in this case hopes he lives long enough to see a verdict. Yeah, I'm into that. Well, Brittany, uh, thanks for coming out for this special episode. And thank you all for listening to us. Stay tuned after the break. We'll tell you how you can find more information about the trial of Robert Durst and how to follow the trial as we cover. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Automatically receive alerts and news breaks on developments in Robert Durst's murder trial, as well as new episodes of Season 2 of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst, by subscribing now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, if you want to refresh your memory on where the prosecution and defense are heading with their arguments in the trial, go back and re-listen to episodes from Season 1. And head over to CrimeStory.com for in-depth coverage of the Durst story. Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst is created and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Brittany Bookbinder is my co-host. This episode was co-produced by Alexis Bartolo and Brittany Bookbinder. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst. <laughs>